Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Yes, indeed. Uh, got a good one up there now with Kristen Hanna. The, oh, Kristen Hanna, she's got a new movie out on Netflix, Firefly Lane. Yes, indeed. And got a new book out, and I talked to her about that. It's a great conversation. Go check that out at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the fabulous people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA and all that they do for writers when uh, you go to pnwa.org. That's where they are. So I'll be uh, teaching a couple workshops coming up end of the month. Fearless writing, fearless marketing. Fearless writing on February 20th, Saturday morning. And then the next Saturday, February 27th, Fearless Marketing. You sign up for one or both on my website, williamknauer.com. It's all about getting into the writing frame of mind, using that course to write, but also to market. That's right. And speaking of the writing frame of mind, I talked about that frame of mind with today's guest, Michael Kaufman. Yes, we talked about, well, Michael's an interesting guy, done a lot of work around gender equality and men and the lives of boys and men. And we talked about that in our conversation, but we also talked, he's a fiction writer too. We talked a bit about the writing frame of mind, how you have to get into that, how you can be surprised by what you're, oh, it was a great conversation. Pre-recorded as you can tell, but awesome just the same. So here you go, enjoy. Michael, uh, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. All right. So interesting guy. You do a lot of different stuff. Uh, let's back up. You are a PhD. What is your degree in Michael Kaufman? <laughs> I haven't been asked that in ages uh, <laughs> because it was ages ago. It was yeah. in um, political theory. Political theory. And yeah. uh, okay. And so political theory is, tell me about that. How, how I mean, I can sort of piece it together, but what is your definition of that? Yeah, you know, it was, I was really interested in two things as I did my work. One is the connection between individual change and social change. Yep. And uh, even though I ended up doing my actual PhD on social change and political change in a particular country, it was actually on Jamaica, uh, okay. what I got really interested in many years ago now was issues around uh, gender equality on women's rights, but particularly on the lives of men within a very rapidly changing society. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I actually write for a website called The Good Men Project, where I write an essay every every so often. Well, actually, I almost every week. I know it well. Okay. I thought perhaps you might after I saw what you do. Um, you know, it's interesting about that. I remember when the women's movement started, it was, was happening in earnest. I was a boy. So I was, you know, a kid and it was happening while my mom was raising us. And, and so I would kind of glean it, but from a, from a distance, you know. And when I started learning, but I always thought like, yeah, I know why it happened the way it did, but it really could have been a human's movement because I, I always thought that 
my mom always said to me when she we raised us because she had our parents split and she raised us she said and she had to essentially play the man's role and the woman's you know the traditional man's role she was like well this sucks too kind of having to go out to a job i don't want to go to and come home and, and i always thought it there was a bigger conversation to have about how everyone's life was affected by those those stereotypical roles is that fair to say well yes and but let me add one thing to it sure. um you know, we still live and we have lived for thousands of years now in male dominated societies, societies where half of us roughly have more social power, economic power, um, where we, you know, we've controlled economies and politics and religions, uh, where, where societies have, you know, on the whole paid men more. Uh, where in many cases women have lost, uh, in most cases, women at one point lost control over their 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 bodies, uh, women subjected to high levels of violence, on and on. And yet, and here this goes right to what, what you were saying, there's a real paradox, because the very ways that we have defined manhood within that, the very ways we've constructed these societies of men's power, comes with an incredible cost to men ourselves. And this is really strange. You know, yes, men have power in male dominated societies. That's, that's a tautology, tautology. But the ways we've defined that power have a cost to men. And so we see it, we, you know, we know that men die younger than women, we know that men are more likely to be addicted to alcohol and other drugs. We know that many men have a hard time expressing feelings, are more are less likely to go uh, see a doctor to get help or more likely to be in prison, uh, also experience high levels of violence, although usually at the hands of other men. Yeah. And the list goes on and on. Sure. And so this is why, um, you know, why, Bill, so many of us do say, uh, uh, and, and, you know, you work with the Good Men Project, you know, we talk about the importance of transforming our ideas and ideals of masculinity, not not because men as a group have been oppressed, we've had forms of power, but because the ways we have exercised that power collectively, even, you know, I'm talking about wonderful good men, have come with has come with a cost. And so that's why, you know, my last uh, nonfiction book, um, uh, uh, two years ago, now almost well, two years ago, uh, was called The Time Has Come, Why Men Must Join the Gender Equality Revolution. And in that it, it, it makes the case for men supporting feminism, supporting women's rights, supporting these challenges that we're seeing around us all the time, both because it's the right thing to do, both because we do it out of love for the women in our lives, and those many women will never know, but also because it's good for us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And when you started doing this work, did it come from something you were going through experiencing personally? In other words, your own sense of suffering, your own self-doubt, your own I've, I've talked to my wife, I said, I, I do think men have a suicidal relationship to success, uh, that, that the way the narrative of it and that it's something, it, it's value that lies out. I mean, my wife and I would talk about it, she felt that women's relationship to appearance and men's relationship to success is so insane from both sides because we lay everything, and women can, men can care about appearance and women can care about success too, but that's sort of traditional something outside of you that determines your value. 
Um, and do you, did that come? So were you drawn to the work because of what you were going through personally or just something you saw? You know, I think it was a combination, Bill. Um, certainly, I was influenced um, growing up in a home with four sisters um, and real values coming from my parents uh, of equality, um, feeling that, you know, knowing that we all should be treated the same. The women I knew in the when I, at university in the 70s uh, were feminists. All those things had an impact on me uh, and, and challenged me as a man. You know, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to speak out? But also the thing about those ways we've defined manhood, none of us can live up to those things. I mean, well, of course, I mean, Bill, you and I can. I mean, we're like superheroes. Sure. But most yeah, yeah. men can't. I mean, <laughs> let's face it. Um, but no, we can't live up to these expectations, these assumptions. And so there's this dialogue of self-doubt about making the masculine grade. And so I ended up just by chance um, 40 years ago in um, a men's discussion group, sort of, a, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what, you know, consciousness raising group, whatever we might sure. want to call it. Yep. And just for the first time in my life, I was talking openly and honestly with other men about my feelings, about my loves, my fears, my expectations. And how old were you? I'm sorry, how old were you at that time? I was, uh, well, 40 years ago, I was two years old. No, no, I was I was, <laughs> I was 30 years old. I'm, um, you're 30 years I, old, I, I, and I, I, for the first time, you're having an open conversation yeah. about just your emotional life. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally wow. open, without censorship, right. um, without worries. And here's what I discovered. I discovered that the, the things that I felt about being a man, uh, which I, I assumed I was the only guy on the planet who had these <laughs> oh, doubts. Oh, yeah. Everyone else did too. Of course, of uh, course. Of course, <laughs> yes. Um, so this kicked off um, a lot of uh, a lot of work that I, I started doing, writing, um, organizing, activism. Uh, it led to my work over many decades uh, that took me to, I think, about 50 countries, uh, working with the UN, with governments, with NGOs, um, to engage men uh, to promote uh, and support women's rights, to end violence against women, but also to transform our ideals of masculinity. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. What's, was, what's the most, in your mind, two, actually two things. When you say make the masculine grade, how would you define that? And two, um, what is, in your mind, the most self, most destructive sort of traditionally male belief that that men carry with them unconsciously probably or maybe consciously yeah you know the the ways that we have defined our ideals of manhood actually vary from social class to social class religious group to religious group era to era right um but this the, there's a common denominator and that is to be a real man is to have power to have power some over, kind. yeah, to have some form of power. It could be economic power. It could be physical power. Yeah, it could be yeah. uh, power to control but your it's own external feelings. power in some way, right? External, I mean, and and internal in the sense of controlling your own emotions, controlling uh, your own feelings. Right. Um, right. And and so, um, you know, regardless of how we define it, what we do is we set ourselves up. You know, that, that power has to be controlling women, controlling other men, controlling the natural environment, controlling our own emotions, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. And it sets us up for, in some cases, for some men, it sets them up to use violence. Sure. It sets other men up for just emotional failure. It sets uh, some men up to, uh, 
you know, use uh, to be addicted to alcohol and other drugs because you can't live up to those ideals. Uh, it's a disaster. And of course, it's a bigger disaster, you know, for women who are often at the brunt of that for the planet that's increasingly we now know is at the brunt of that. But I think for all men as well. But some men more than others, depending on, you know, you know, historically, we've de defined certain groups of men as, you know, not real men because of their yeah. sexual orientation. Uh, we've denigrated or certain groups of men. I mean, I remember as a boy growing up in North Carolina, uh, we moved there from Ohio, where I was born, and to the segregated South. And um, I remember uh, grown, you know, black men being referred to as boy, yeah. you know, this whole denigration of certain men as not real men. Yeah. Um, and so you know, just the, the 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 physical and emotional violence that comes with that picture of having to be real men. Yeah. I remember I was in high school, and there were these boys who were from, uh, I was in Providence, they were from Federal Hill, which is the, where the New England Mafia was located. And there were all these Italian guys, working class Italian guys who were raised in a pretty rough environment, I think. And they had looked sideways at some of my friends who were artists and some wore earrings in the 80s, that was a big deal. And they thought they were fags, they were using that kind of language, you know, that was swirling around, right? But, they, but I did sports, so they weren't sure about me. And one of them was this tough little guy. And one day I'm playing basketball in the gym with the other track guys. And he's playing baseball and he comes over and we're all shooting hoops. And he says, I'd never heard anyone say this to me. He said, let me show you how a real man plays basketball. And it was a funny moment because he was shorter than I was. And I thought, I know why you're saying that, but I'm faster than you and I'm taller than you. And I don't think this is going to go how you think it's going to go. So I ended up um, beating him. I swatted his balls away and stuff. And so he really lost. And what was interesting about that moment was he was then very friendly to me afterwards. Huh. Jay in my mind was like, well, then he's going to want to fight me. But no, I had bested him on the field. And what I thought was that, and tell me, maybe get your take on this, was that he wanted to make sure I was playing by the same rules he was, that he had been made to play by. You're going to be a guy, you got to do these things, you got to be this. And losing was okay. But me being able to exist outside those rules was not okay. And by beating him, I showed I was willing to play by those rules that he felt he had been made since he was a boy to play by. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, a lot of uh, what we know about manhood is it's a performance. Um, yeah, we, yes, we want, yes, you know? yes, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. good. We, we, want to, we want to look like men, feel like men in the eyes of other men. Yes. And that's why, you know, that's why many of the men, you know, in, in incidents where you see um, group situations where uh, something awful happens, uh, and you know the the men who are this the 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 you know the the who are just watching basically from the outside um, bystanders uh, you know they say they didn't like what happened but they they were scared of speaking out they were scared right. not just for their own safety but how they would be seen so there's real fear involved um, in these ideals of manhood that that's again this yes. paradox. So a lot of what I, I wrote, um, and that's of course in my non my nonfiction. Listen, my that's fiction, all, we're going to get to the fiction. Yeah, we'll get I to the fiction. You, but we've stumbled um, on a subject that has particular interest to me. Absolutely. Um, so that's all the nonfiction. And so at some point, so you're writing these books, you're going around the world, you're talking to all these people. It's great. You know, you're doing it's you're spreading the message that you believe in, which is a great way to live. But somewhere, you got the strange notion. That you're going to try and write fiction. Uh, what the hell? I mean, you got enough going on. Why that? 
Why do, and when was this and what, and how did that come about? Well, it, I, mean, I could say it started back in uh, grade one, which in a way it did, oh, um, the love okay. of writing. Um, where really, during the 90s, I was, uh, I was already finding that most of what I was reading once I left the academic world, uh, most of what I was reading was fiction. Okay. Uh, yes, I, you know, I continue to read nonfiction, uh, some for pleasure, some for my work, uh, you know, semi-pleasure, I guess we could say. Um, but I, I always would just turn to fiction. Uh, that was my great love in terms of reading. And so I wrote my first novel, uh, came out um, in uh, uh, 1999, 2000, okay. uh, called The Possibility of Dreaming on a Night Without Stars, uh, Penguin. Uh, put it out. Great. And it was a story and, it, you know, it started, you know, sort of blending my areas of interest. It was a story uh, about men and the search for love. Right. Uh, one particular man, um, I won't get into the story now, but, um, and, uh, but it was not for, you know, it does take a lot of time and focus to, 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 yes. to write fiction as you're yes. implying. And so, I, you know, I played with some other um, manuscripts, but nothing was published until, um, uh, was it 2014 or so, um, where I, I co-wrote an anti-war fable with a friend of mine, right, right, um, yeah. called the Afghan Vampires Book Club, <laughs> and um, of all things, I love the title. There, there may or may not be vampires in there. Yeah. All I can say. <laughs> um, more likely not than than yes, but um, but yeah, and and you know, one of the things that happened as partly as I got older, um, you know. Let me backtrack. You know, when I started this work uh, to engage men to support women's rights, work to end violence against women, there were very few of us around the whole world that was doing. Very few of us men who were doing that type of yeah, work. Like you and Robert Bly and six. Yeah, other well, he was into something somewhat different things, but yeah, there were very few of us. That's right. right. And um, so I, I just felt like, okay, I can't leave this. I've got to. I had a responsibility. Right. But one of the exciting things now is there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of men yeah. in their companies, in their workplaces, in their unions, in their schools and universities, uh, in their homes, who are really working um, towards gender equality. Uh, so many fathers now who are saying, I'm not just helping out with my kids, I'm going to strive to be an equally involved parent. Uh, we're seeing tremendous changes. And I am so excited by that. And partly what that's done is given me permission to say, okay, I can do some of the things that I put <laughs> off for years. And right, um, fix that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, fix that one. Um, but no, I just, you know, I just feel like, okay, others are taking over. That's cool. Sure, sure. Um, and there's some amazing leaders uh, in, in my field, uh, men and women working uh, the type of work that, that, that I was doing for years. I still do it. I still work in that field. I still get invited to give talks. Um, part of how I earn my living. Sure, um, sure. But it's also um, increasingly just have said, okay, I've got to take time to write, to write fiction. Yeah. And uh, so this year, just uh, um, uh, in in January, um, my first mystery came out. Yeah, the last, the last exit. exit. Yeah. yeah. And I'm totally excited by it. Well, so now this is interesting to me because I would think one of the challenges you're, so as someone who gives talks, you're teaching in a way, you're telling stories, obviously, but I know what it is. I give, I'm a lecturer as well, and I get up there and I teach essentially. I, I, I give a point of view that I hope will be inspiring and useful to people. And one of the things about writing fiction is you really have to write not to, to discover, not to explain. 
you have to write to, you have to go in to learn, not to tell, not to teach. I mean, there may be teaching involved, but you kind of have to back up on that a little bit if you're going to let the, 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 the uh, real creativity through, yeah? So you have to put a slightly different hat on when you're doing it. Oh boy, uh, more than slightly, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it is true though, um, Bill, as educators, um, I, I remember when I first started speaking about these issues, about the issues around men and masculinity and, 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 and support for feminism, way back in the late 80s when I was speaking publicly, I had been invited to some university to the talk. They phoned me the next year. They said, could you return? Now I was an academic at the time. So I figured, well, there's, you know, there's, they, they must have liked some of the things I said. And so I just said, you know, are there some things you'd like me to talk about again? What I meant by the question, are there some theories that I talked about, some analysis? Right. You know what they said to me? They said, tell the story about, uh, you know, whatever story it was. They want you to say exactly that again. Yeah. And I realized that so much of the learning that we do um, in our lives is through storytelling. Oh, yeah. But that said, that said, it is a real change. Um, oh. You know, I wanted to write a book. Yes, uh, The Last Exit. There are themes around climate change, around economic inequality, around AI, um, you know, on and on. But... I just I wanted to tell a fun story. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want it to feel like homework. I didn't want to have characters giving lectures. Nope. Um, it's you know I wanted a, I wanted to write a page turning novel, but with substance. You know, yeah. uh, um, and uh, uh, you know let others judge whether I pulled that off. Um, but uh, you know, it 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 seems so just based on the first reviews, and and I was thrilled that uh, right around the publication day in January, it already went into its second printing. So that was great. cool. But That's you great. know, the job of a fiction writer is, you know, is to, you know, is is to tell a story, is to make some different world or some parts of our world come alive in a different way, um, to breathe some magic into. Um, ordinary spaces. Yeah. And that had to be my object, not not to convert people to something. Yeah, it's it's a, such an interesting thing. You really have to get out of the way. I, the yes. one thing, the one, you I mean, totally get out of the way. Although I will say that I write narrative nonfiction and the thing, and, and you know, essays, personal essays, and I, and they, you know, my next book is called Everyone Has What It Takes. It's a creativity equality book based on- Wonderful. Or inherent equality. But even there, I will tell you, for me, and I came from a fiction writing background and I've moved off of that to this <laughs> sort of backwards. But still the, the, the artist, for lack of a better word in me, knows that if I go to the page with anything but a desire to discover, I get bored real fast. I feel like I've got nothing to say. So even if I've talked about it I've, before or I've you know, lectured or I have to find something new. I have to discover something yeah. in the writing or I am just not gonna, I, I can't do it. Uh, so I would assume that you, even in the stuff you were writing about when you were teaching and talking about it, you must've been discovering on some level at the page, not just transcribing what you had already told folks about. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm so with you on that, uh, Bill, um, certainly for nonfiction, um, you know, there's that feeling you sometimes have when you're writing that the ideas are coming out of your fingertips. Um, yeah. you know, you might have an idea for, you know, or a, a chapter or a paragraph, and you know you know what you're trying to communicate. But as you are putting words into it, you're actually, for me anyway, I started understanding things a lot more yes. deeply. Yes. Um, and just you know suddenly connect. I'm making connections I didn't realize were there. 
Uh, it's so exciting. So it is that discovery process. Um, and this other thing happens with fiction that you know we we hear about, you know, expressed in that sort of mystical way that the characters take on a life of their own. Oh, it's and the truth, baby. It, it, but it, it it is true. And I think it I think it the the the, the truth of it is that that we understand our characters unconsciously better than we consciously do unless we're some genius writer no, no, no. um but i ain't um i'm not told <laughs> no, no. they uh, gotta you gotta follow the leader and it ain't you yeah yeah <laughs> um so you know and so characters you know suddenly as you're writing fiction you know it, it it's interesting like the, the the last exit is set in washington dc in 2033 so it's a it's a near future mystery right. uh it's it's um you know, it's, it's a cross genre book. It's a police procedural mystery. It's a it's it's slightly speculative fiction. Um, and, you know, like any good fiction I want to read, uh, I want to make sure that my my protagonist, my main character, a detective named uh, a, a police detective named Jen Liu, I knew she was going to change and evolve both in the course of this book and the series that this begins. But here's the thing that totally surprised me. So. Let me just say this. So this is set in the near future. Right. And one of the I mentioned um, AI. Well, Jen Liu is my detective is part of an experimental program where she has a synthetic bio implant, a computer ah, in her brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this computer in her brain is actually narrating half of the book. <laughs> um, his name is his name is Chandler. Okay. He's this wannabe tough guy, uh -huh. but he's only two and a half years old. So he has a hard time pulling off the tough guy routine. Right. But he's he's narrating this. And here's what I didn't expect for a second. I didn't think he was going to I wasn't even thinking about him changing in the course of the book. And suddenly he starts doing things that weren't in the script. Yeah. <laughs> and it just blew my mind. I mean, it just it's like and, it, and, and so a whole other thing just opened up in front of me, which made as a writer, I think this is what you're getting to as a writer. It made it so much fun to write oh, it, it, the job of the artist, I think whatever you're doing is to enter into the creative mind frame where art is possible. Um, your job, you know, I have, there's a lot of craft and stuff you have to learn, but the main thing you have to learn is how to get into the correct frame of mind where a character will talk to you, where yeah. a character will surprise you or where you will discover however yeah. the inspiration arrives, but that's your main job. Like, and once you get there, stuff will happen and the, yeah. and the magic will happen. But that is the job more than all the other hard work and craft and outlining or whatever it is. That's all what it well and good. But if you're not in that frame of mind, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. <laughs> I am convinced of it. Having spent a lifetime exploring it, writing about, thinking about it, losing it, getting in, getting out. You just got to be there or nothing happens. Period. Yeah. yeah, it is so true. And it is magical. I mean, I find... Oh. You know, I'll be, you know, stuck or trying to figure out where I'm going. I go out for a run or a walk, and suddenly I'm hearing my characters having conversations yeah. with each other. Yeah. And you just yeah. hear those voices in your head, and it's quite, um, it's quite wonderful. You know, we were talking about power earlier, and power is an interesting word. My now, my understanding of my true understanding of the word. I know people. We talk about political power, economic power, but actual power, authentic power, comes from for me the connection to whatever it is I connect to when I write, whether you want to call it God or inspiration or source energy, whatever your language for the thing that provides the inspiration, which is the best guidance, which is the most honest form of 
a new idea. It's always friendly. It's always compassionate. It never judges. It doesn't care what other people think. It doesn't try to change anybody. It doesn't try to control anybody. It is just me and the thing that is guiding me. And if I'm connected to that, that's as powerful as I'll ever be. You know, and that's why you can have a man that what are Gorman, what's her name? The 22 year old yeah. in that poem, because she was connected. Yep. So she's as powerful as Joe Biden at that moment because she's absolutely. connected. And when yeah. you're connected, that's it. That's as strong as anyone can be. Yeah, no, she, no she's absolutely amazing. And, you know, and, and I, I, I think that, that that connection, you know, if we are, um, if we are able to go beyond that sort of power over power, you know, yeah. power to control others, uh, and power to control our own emotions or whatever, and just discover inner sources of strength, that actually allows us to connect with others uh, in in much in much better ways. It, it allows us to be allies. It allows me, uh, you know, to to listen with compassion and empathy, and and um, you know, to to other people, to learn about to learn about privilege, to learn about advantages I might enjoy, without just feeling you know guilty or this or that, but just to learn from it, to take it in, and to see what sort of see the ways it challenges me as a person to to work work for a better world and you know and i and i hope that you know as we do that then we bring those values into our writing sure. um you know the last exit it's it's in a way it's a it's it's political fiction not because it talks about politics right. um although there's you know it's in washington dc there sure. you, you can't get sure. away from it but it's yeah. not it's not like a political thriller in that sense but our lives are about politics not I don't mean electoral politics, but I mean the exercise of power, um, the choices we make, the decisions we make. And so in that sense, it's, um, you know, as someone who believes in equality, as someone who believes in LGBTQ rights, as someone who's worked um, since, you know, uh, since I was a youth in North Carolina and, and spoke out uh, against racism, um, as a white person, all these different things, you know, I want those values in this book, not as a lecture in the book, as I say, the book's got to be fun as a page turner, but it's it's what informs the world that I write within. Yeah, it should come out naturally. In other words, it should just be there. Yeah. It should it should just be just there. as the reality that it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Now, Absolutely. It, it, now, it's funny when you talk about the realities, because, you know, I, I think there are, um, you know, there's no reason why why readers sh should know about the whole writing publishing process. But here's the thing the, the last exit happens to have um, a virus that is killing off uh, a huge number of people in their their you didn't, 40s you started and 50s. it long before COVID started. There, yeah, it has part of the backstory is a movement in DC that uh, uh, an uprising against uh, police brutality. Uh, it, it has wow. although in the case of this backstory, it's actually the you know um individuals the civil rights movement folks unions some rogues in the police force who are organizing uh there's a lot of stuff on climate change it it, it starts with uh, in the backdrop there's a, a the the shenandoah mountains are on fire and you know smoke is coming into dc well this is written at a time before this is written two years ago basically before ah. covid before black lives matter before san francisco was turning orange right. but you know here's the thing you just it's it's an extension of of our reality even then yeah. you, you know you don't have to you don't have to just sort of graft on 
you know, the, the current news to say, this is the world we're living in, where climate change is having an impact, uh, where our human incursion into natural uh, environment is leading to um, spread of, 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 of viruses, um, where people are organizing for change. And so it was really, you know, it's quite, it's quite funny, because there was, you know, your, one, your little one antenna were up, the the little antenna were they up. were just picking up. Yeah, what was coming. I, I wish I could tell you the, the winning lottery numbers yeah. for this week, you know. Well, you work on that for your next book, right? <laughs> <For my> next <laughs> book. All right. Well, listen, Michael, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. I'm not quite done with you yet. Uh, first of all, tell the folks, uh, you know, look, we're still in the COVID thing. This is going to end here soon-ish, maybe, hopefully, right? But in the meantime, everything's virtual. If people want to have you at their book club, if they want you to come to their bookstore, where's the best place to talk, to reach Michael Kaufman? Yeah, I would I would love to. I've done a few of these visits so far over the past few weeks to book clubs, uh, to bookstores. They're so much fun. I love it. Um, and um, uh, although I, I have to say one of my one of the the wonderful authors who blurbed my book, uh, the, the the writer Emma uh, Donahue, uh, who wrote the book, the book uh, Room and so forth. Oh, uh, nice. I was talking to her about these visits. And she said, well, the first 60 were fun. Um, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, that's what you get for being a best selling yeah. author. It's good but, problem. No, I, I love doing it. And um, yeah, people could just go to my website, uh, michaelkaufman.com, um, or write me at uh, the name of the book, The Last Exit at michaelkaufman.com. And uh, send me an invite and we'll, we'll get in touch. All right, good. All right. So, so one more question. One more question for you. What I want you to do is finish this sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done in your long life has taught you anything, it's taught you what? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a run-on sentence to answer. That's fine. I love it. Uh, you know, it's taught me if you can um, pursue those dreams, uh, do things, find at least some things in your life that are just plain fun to do, whether, you know, a few of us are lucky enough to do it for a living, um, but just find those things that that are fun, that connect you with, with sort of the deepest parts of what you aspire to in yourself and in others. Um, and those are some of the things that I think I, I learn and I feel when I write. I just, you know, there's few things I can imagine that are, for me, that are any better than creating a story. That is awesome. That is awesome. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. Lovely talking with you, Bill. Take, keep up the great work. Okay, so there you go. That was our conversation. It was a good one. Interesting guy. Hey, Michael might be back to talk to me. Uh, when my new book comes out, everyone has what it takes. Yes, indeed. That'll be a lot of fun. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thanks as always. You're awesome. And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do and do it. 